Our scripture readings this morning are those appointed for the 468th Sunday after Pentecost in the year of our Lord, 2020. It seems like that, isn't it, doesn't it? It's been a long year. And our readings this morning point us to what? To waiting. Waiting. Our gospel and our epistle readings in particular teach us to wait for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the parable Jesus tells us this morning takes some time to figure out, and I think we'll see there's a twist to it. I love the parables of Jesus because you can get the big point right away, and if you spend a little bit more time, you get maybe another point. Well, the parable Jesus comes, uh, gives us today takes us some time to figure out. It comes from a different time and place and culture, and we need to do a little bit of unpacking. The story comes to us out of first century Palestine, where people did weddings a little bit differently. Weddings were always on Tuesday. In fact, if you go to Israel today, weddings are on Tuesday. Why are weddings on Tuesday? Because in Genesis 1, God said the third day was good twice. So it's doubly good. So it's an especially good day for a wedding. If you go to the old city of Jerusalem, you can't turn the corner without seeing a wedding party on a Tuesday morning. And it's actually kind of a kind of a happy day. You just kind of walk around. There's all these brides walking down the street with their wedding parties. It's really kind of an interesting time. Well, in first century Palestine, weddings took place in the summertime, and I have no idea why. But that meant that all the get-togethers were in the evening and in the nighttime because that's when it's cool. The bridegroom would leave the celebration at his house, his father's house actually, and then go to the bride's house, um, take the bride, put the bride onto a donkey and parade the bride to her new home, taking his time because he wanted to show off that this was his new wife. Taking the longest route possible, I guess, so that the whole town could see and share in the celebration. And then the bridesmaids would be waiting to escort their friend, the bride, to her new home. So that's the background here. That's why these bridesmaids are out on a street corner in the middle of the night. Now as for the parable. In in Matthew's gospel, Jesus has already given us plenty of talk about his return. He's taught us that the Messiah's return would be like a fig tree in full bloom, which sounds pretty nice. On the other hand, the Messiah's return would be like the days of Noah, which doesn't sound so nice. And then the Messiah's return would be like a thief in the middle of the night, which sounds kind of scary. And then just before he tells his listeners this parable about the ten bridesmaids, he tells his hearers that the servant who is faithful in waiting will receive the blessing of God. The master will return at a time that the servant doesn't know. And if we, the servants, are ready and prepared for his return, the blessings of the kingdom of heaven will be ours. And Jesus spends a lot of energy and time telling us about the importance of his coming. Two full chapters in Matthew, we've been reading most of them, Matthew 24 and 25. Now we're starting off on Matthew 25 over and over again. We're being told that Jesus will return. And we're not to take the fact that Jesus will return lightly but we're to be prepared and watching. Our epistle reading points out to us some of the feelings of the early church, early Christians, even in the first generation of the Christian story. Paul writes to his followers who are confused. They had expected Jesus to come back very quickly. 
They had expected that the days of funerals would be over. No one was going to die and Jesus would return. But their friends and their family members and their church members were dying. Paul writes a word of comfort to them, a word of pastoral comfort to them, that those who have died and those who are alive and remain will together meet the Lord. What's issued as words of pastoral comfort have instead turned into Christians fighting and arguing over what the last days are going to be like. Is the picture here what we think of in America as the rapture? I don't think Americans realize how uniquely American that image of spirits kind of zooming up into the sky, but it's almost impossible for American Christians to avoid it because it's all over our culture. When I was teaching in Rwanda, this was 10 years ago, I guess. Um, I, I, we got back from a break, and, and one of my students, Solomon, had left his coat. He had a longer coat. He was really proud of it, and he had left it in, in, in his chair. And I said, where's Solomon? And the student said, they didn't know where Solomon was, and I said, I guess maybe he got raptured. And they all just kind of, I said, they had no idea what I was talking about. And so I explained it to them. They thought I was crazy. Anyway, my, my opinion on the deal is when Jesus gets here, I'm just going to roll with it. If it's a rapture or whatever, I'm just going to roll with it. Anyway, Paul's words here are not meant for, for fighting and arguing over exactly piece by piece what's going to happen in the future, but it's a word of comfort for a church who is feeling that maybe Jesus is taking his time. And many have noted, looking at this passage, that, Jesus, that Paul seems to think that Jesus could arrive at any minute. And the fact that Paul is expecting Jesus to arrive within his own lifetime. He says, we who are alive and remain. Many have noted that, that Paul seems to think this is right around the corner. Few people have noted that Paul was right. That's the right way to think of things. Jesus warns his listeners to be ready. Even Jesus' early followers had to wait. And how much more so is that the case for us now 2,000 years later? Of course, it did take him a long time to show it the first time. But 2,000 years later, maybe we too are not really expecting it to happen. Maybe we're like the bridesmaids and we get kind of sleepy and drowsy and maybe not at all prepared for the coming of Jesus. Maybe we think, well, it doesn't matter if I don't pray today, there's always tomorrow. Or it doesn't matter if I don't forgive that person just yet, I can always do it tomorrow. Or... I can help my neighbor maybe tomorrow. I can show love to people at work starting next week. It may seem like a cliche, but it's true that one day there'll be no tomorrow. Well, I am a little ahead of myself. We know in Matthew that Jesus has already referred to himself as the bridegroom in Matthew. He's identifying himself the way that God identified himself in the Old Testament. Jesus identifying with God, proclaiming that he himself is the bridegroom who has come. And the parable is simple enough at first glance. You have ten bridesmaids. Five of them are wise because they brought enough oil. Five of them are foolish because they didn't bring enough oil. And so the lesson is to bring enough oil to be prepared and watchful as you wait for Jesus to return. Well, that's certainly true and obviously bears repeating Jesus repeats the exact same warning a dozen or more times. 
just in chapters 24 and 25 that we've been reading over the last few weeks. So it is one that we must take seriously. Paul reminds us that dead or alive, the day is coming when there are no more tomorrows and when we will meet our Lord. And so we need to take things seriously. Will Williman, who teaches um, preaching at Duke Divinity School, tells the story of a neighbor who, whose father had died, and so um, uh, they attended the funeral to support the, the, he and his wife attended the funeral to support his neighbor in, in their grief. And it was at a church that he'd never been to, in fact, never heard of before. It was out away from where the city where they lived. But they traveled to this city, and the preacher got up and began to preach, and soon began to shout, it's too late for Joe down there, he said. Joe had plenty of times to straighten out his life, but now it's too late. And Professor Willman, who taught preaching, sat there thinking, this is a horrible message for, what comfort does this bring to the family? And then the preacher went on, said, but it's not too late for you. People drop dead every day. You don't know if today is going to be the day, so you better straighten out your life today. And sat down. On the way home, he said to his wife, that was a terrible sermon. And the wife said, the worst part is it's true. It is a terrible sermon. The terrible part is it's true. The day is coming when, whether dead or alive, we meet our maker. Well, that's certainly serious. And we're thinking about, because that's, Jesus tells us this maybe a dozen times. But there's enough going on here in the parable to lead me to think that Jesus is pointing us to more than just the repeated truth that he's been driving home over and over. There's enough strange things going on in the parable that, well, might catch our attention. The last time I preached to you, I preached on the theme of generosity. These five wise bride maids are not particularly generous. In fact, they're kind of mean. They send the foolish bridesmaids off on a search for an olive oil store open at midnight. They're mean to them. Not only are they not generous, they're mean to them. It's the same Jesus who says, if, if you see someone in need, help them. The same Jesus who is praising these bridesmaids. And then there's just the cruelty of the bridegroom who doesn't let them in after they went out looking for oil to welcome him. Not only does he say, no, I'm not letting you in, he says, I don't know who you are. They're standing outside his door in the middle of the night. The same Jesus who says, if a neighbor knocks on your door in the middle of the night and says, I, I have needs of some bread, a visitor's come to visit me, you get up and, and, you, and you make sure your neighbor has bread, is praising these bridesmaids. But the strangest of all, the warning that Jesus gives at the end of the parable is the opposite of what all ten bridesmaids did. Jesus says, watch Literally, he says, stay awake, but he uses a, 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 in a military command as to keep the watch. Stay awake so that you're on watch. Literally, he says, stay awake. Keep watch. Yet all ten of the bridesmaids had fallen asleep. 
they done exactly what Jesus warns them against. The bridegroom could have been angry at all, ten of them. Why didn't you show me and my bride respect and stay awake watching for me? He could have been angry at all ten of them, but apparently he takes five into the party and he tells those who went off on the crazy chase to find some olive oil to buy that he doesn't know them. He tells the bridesmaids that he doesn't know them, but the larger truth is that the bridesmaids really don't know the bridegroom. I mean, they know him, but they don't really know him. They don't know that this bridegroom is a forgiving bridegroom. He forgives the five who fell asleep. This bridegroom is a forgiving bridegroom. This bridegroom is a generous bridegroom. This bridegroom owns all the olive oil in the world. And he teaches generosity. This bridegroom, if he'd come along, would have said, well, the ones of you who didn't bring oil, just walk next to the one who brought the oil and share the lamp. Share the flashlight. That's what this bridegroom is like because this bridegroom is Jesus. And these foolish bridemaids didn't know the graciousness of the bridegroom. They believed falsely and foolishly that his good graces depended on their own efforts. What they did on their own, or to use the spiritual word, on their righteousness. Think how often in the passages from the gospel we've been reading the past few weeks, the one who is rejected is the one who depends on his or her own work, effort, righteousness. Look at what great works we did in your name, Lord. Depart from me, I never knew you. My own clothes are as good as the wedding garment you prepared for me. Throw this person out of the party. The bridesmaids responded to the invitation. They were members of the wedding party. They had, we assume, affection for the bridegroom, certainly for the bride, their friend. But they did not know his graciousness. And they thought that his good favor was dependent on their own efforts. Throughout these two chapters, Jesus is giving us two warnings. Be prepared and watchful and make sure that we know who it is that we're watching for. Because if we expect to be welcomed because of our own efforts, our own righteousness, our own wedding garments, our own olive oil, we'll be turned away. Let us, yes, be watching and waiting for our Lord, but also knowing him and his grace. Let's cast all our hopes on his righteousness and not our own. In Jesus' name, amen.